seven mountain mandate, and we're using scripture as primary reference, Isaiah 2.2, which says, Now it shall come to pass that in the latter days the mountain of the Lord's house will be established on the top of the mountains. We are looking for this time and season in history. We believe we have begun, we have entered into the beginning stages of that, where we will begin to see the mountain of the house of the Lord exalted in such a way, not where just people are getting saved and coming to the Lord, but even the nations began to realize the wisdom, the solutions, the light that is coming from the household of God on how society can function. We have always understood that Christianity offered the best future options, eternal life, one day when we die, we're going to be in heaven with Jesus and all that, and that's still all true. But we are coming to understand that there is the God of all life, and he has the solutions and is the solution for all practical areas of society. And tonight we're going to speak specifically on this area, the mountain of education. And um, this mountain of education is one of the seven mountains Uh, of society, the one of seven main sectors of society, and the enemy on this mountain is the Amorite, the Amorites. Now, we are using the template out of the seven nations that Israel had to conquer in the promised land. If you know the story there, there was the Ites, the Girgashites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and this is one of the Ites, the Amorites, and these seven nations that Israel had to displace In order to be the head and not the tail, the promise out of Deuteronomy 28 wasn't that they were that no matter what. It was if they would go into the land and displace the seven nations greater and mightier them, then they would be the head and not the tail. And just for our purposes in this study on it, again, there's further, there's more in-depth understanding of this that can come out of the books that we have to offer in this material. The enemy on this mountain is the Amorite. And we want to understand who the enemy is, so that gives us some insight on how we must come in the opposite spirit of what is ruling and reigning there. The Amorite represents, means indirectly, to think or act high-mindedly. And what it represents specifically to us is humanism. And um, the principality on this mountain, I feel like this is what the Lord showed me a couple of years ago, is Beelzebub. And he works in conjunction. He either is the prince of Greece or the prince of Greece is right under him. I don't really think it matters that much to know if they're one or the same or they work in conjunction. They do work together or they are the same. And uh, Beelzebub literally means Lord of the Flies. And I put he's Lord of the Lies. And it represents eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you remember in the scripture, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had the option of eating of every fruit that was in the garden. There was the invitation to eat of every tree that was in the garden. Only do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the day you begin to eat of that, you will will die. The day you begin to eat of that, you will begin to die. That's exactly what happened for them. And it represents for us the mind of reason. It represents for us critical thinking. I may even step on your toes as we briefly go through these things. Thinking through the logic of pros and cons, it is a form of wisdom, and that's what the attraction was even for Adam and Eve, but really, it really is an inferior garbage that the enemy is passing on as some fancy food. That's why he's the lord of the flies. It's really flies are attached, attracted to the food, but he's got, us, he's got it painted and he's got it looking good, but it's garbage. And it, it operates under the assumption, it causes you to operate under the assumption that you can't eat 
of tree of life really. You can't receive the actual wisdom from God for a specific answer, but you must use human rationing, rationalizing to determine what is real wisdom. And um, it, it, in, in this, uh, if I give you a, a quick example, because I don't want it just to be theoretical, something you take notes on, but don't have uh, some application for it. This using of pros and cons and critical thinking and thinking that this is a wisdom, because I'm going to tell you, many in the body of Christ do think that this is a good wisdom. And that this is how even uh, board meetings and, and, and Christian organizations and churches, there is, okay, let's put all the pros and the cons, and it seems like that's wisdom. But I just want to tell you it's garbage wisdom. And, and with that, if you can just briefly think of the children of Israel, if they had operated under the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if they had operated out of critical thinking, pros and cons as they advanced, they would have never attempted to cross the Red Sea. Pros and cons, we're going to drown. There's really no pro because we can't make it. And, and, you know, Moses, when he raises the rod, there's a pros and cons to raising the rod in the first place. And if he goes just to critical thinking, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he's never going to do that. And, and uh, you know, there was the instruction to collect manna that came from heaven every day. And this is something obviously supernatural that violates the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's the tree of life, him giving you something every day, even though you're stuck in the wilderness. And the instruction was... Do not collect more than you need for one day. Now, the, again, if you just go to the mind of reason, like, well, what if there's not? And, and if you think, yeah, we're supposed to count on, again, some supernatural thing from heaven showing up in the morning. And, and so if they, let's weigh the pros and cons and the elders get together. Well, we better, you know, let's save 10 days worth just to make sure. Because this could really be a problem. And then every stage uh, of getting into the promised land all the way till they finally cross the river Jordan where they're commanded millions of them to tear down camp and begin to walk and as they're going to walk the priests are going to go forward and, and the waters are going to part you know there would be the mind of reason would say let's not tear down camp until I mean let's see if it really works the priests begin to walk and then when that happens, if, if the waters part, then we'll tear down camp and go through, forward. Well, you can see the whole taking of the promised land, you know, to surround a city, a city nation, Jericho. And this is the Lord is calling us to take cities and nations is the basic essence of the seven mountain message to display his goodness in every sector of society that he is and has all the answers for society. If we would think of going, uh, you know, like they did, they had no battle plan. They surrounded the city of Jericho. And they, uh, the battle plan was obey God. And there wasn't learn how to dynamite, how to blow up walls and all these things. The entire process of taking this promised land, of taking the seven mountains for us, if you want to say, is a supernatural venture. We need to know how to eat from the tree of life. And if we uh, limit ourselves to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we will find that we will not get very, get very far. Anyway, this is a principality. This is a stronghold that operates and is released to us in our educational system. Let's go to, and just briefly I'll mention to you that the world geographical mountaintop of this, because there is a main altar for every one of the seven mountains, is Boston. And, and uh, you know, Harvard and other major learning institutions are based there or near, near there. And there's no doubt that whatever uh, comes through Harvard uh, does at this time, it, it releases changes throughout the world educational system. And should Harvard have a revival a, a thorough revival, not just where people get saved, but the institution itself gets saved and restructured. And I believe that is going to happen. It will release 
a major redirection of education in the entire world. Now let's look at the word education itself just to get an idea of of what it really means. The definition of education is the knowledge or skill obtained or developed by a learning process. And and, um, uh, we'll just leave it at that and, and go to what the original intent of education was, at least as it relates to our American experience, United States American schooling. I suppose there's some difference in different cultures and nations, but for the United States, the original intent, and it seems many nations and most nations got the idea afterwards uh, uh, from following even certain models that we had, was that there would be training and admonition in the fear of the Lord. And there was a foundation of Proverbs 1-7 that says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So it's just, it's important to know, it's good to know, where did the idea of education start? We know it's been hijacked now. It's now something that is intended, its primary purpose is so that you can make more money, that you have a degree and so you can get a better job. That was never the original idea. The founders of the concept of education uh, did not think of it in that way at all. And uh, there is going to be a a redirection that God is going to uh, cause so that it's no, no longer run just by a concept or, or, or funded uh, mammon oriented in its approach to life. Now, the purpose of education, and this again is even how our founding fathers in the United States, this was their approach, this is what they believed. The purpose of education was instruction on how God fits into our worldview. This is important. Because then it takes us to the premise of education that they believed in and established. God is the center of the universe and we must orbit around who he is and what he requires. We will see in a moment, I'll go ahead and say how that's the opposite of humanism. Humanism, its essence is that you are the center of the world and God, if he exists, he's orbiting around you. And so, therefore, You establish yourself as God in direct and indirect ways. But I just want you to look at that one more time. The original premise of education is God was the center of the universe. And because of that, pastors, clergy leaders, denominations, who are the ones that originally created educational institutions, they wanted the children to be raised up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, understanding that if we're going to live in a world that is created and ordained by our God, we needed to know primarily, number one, how to interact with him, what are his instructions, what are his rules, how do we so show stewardship in this world. So the kids were to gain a knowledge of him to know how to function in this world. Now, again, we'll just briefly state some things as related to the United States experience, our history in education, the American history of education, 1635, the first public school was formed by a noted Puritan minister named John Cotton. Harvard, William and Mary, Yale and Princeton, four well-established learning institutions, the four oldest learning institutions in our nation were all formed under guidance, direction of church people. And... uh, First of all, we'll look at Harvard University, which was formed in 1636, primarily by the influence and work of a clergyman named John Harvard. 
And again, the, the idea was instruction in the ways of God. They were uh, almost served as some sort of seminary was the original uh, the concept of them. William and Mary in 1693 began as an Anglican institution. Then Yale University in 1701 was initiated, was begun by 10 Congregationalist ministers. And then Princeton University in 1746 by Presbyterians. And the original motto of the Princeton University was, Under God, she flourishes. Now, if you know even the history, these four learning institutions alone are responsible for scores of presidents in our nation and the nations around the world. Even now, there there are probably scores of presidents of nations that have had their instruction in one of these four schools. And their original roots of all of them were instruction in the ways of God. It's just good that we know that sometimes time goes by and we don't have an understanding of where we started and where things began to go wrong. There's an article in the Washington Post in 2005 on who teaches in our universities. And so now that we know the original foundation and the original purpose of education and even of our learning institutions, it is interesting to find out who teaches in our universities that 72% are self-described liberals. Now, I want to just tell you about this word, word liberal. We know it means different things to different people and even in different nations. In some nations, the word liberal and the liberal party is actually a conservative party there. But liberals, as we apply it to, to schooling, to education, is basically, uh, is either, liberal education is either specifically or in effect atheistic or agnostic. And um, in, liber- in elite schools, such as Harvard and the, the like, the liberals, the liberal professors are 87%. Um, whereas there's 72% in the other one. So we see that our main original institutions that were ordained under godly men, or at least under Christian men, Christian principles to the best of their ability to know things, that, uh, again, there's hijacking of our educational system in our primary educational institutions has taken place. And and, uh, this is something that has to be reclaimed, and God does have solutions for these things. So we want to look at the Amorites' humanism. Again, we bring up that word, the Amorites. And um, we want to look uh, uh, at different ways of what the humanism is. Humanism is an ethical philosophy that prioritizes universal human qualities and intellect. Think of it as, again, eating of the tree of life, the tree of the knowledge versus eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This would be eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And and it's only the tree of life and eating of the tree of life that will connect us to spirit and supernatural and to the supernaturalness of God. And so humanism, when it becomes now institutionalized through a system of education, then it begins to release its fruit into our entire uh, society. We want to look at another word that goes along with Amorites' humanism, that's rationalism. It rejects the validity of transcendental justifications, such as dependence on faith, the supernatural, or divinely revealed truths. And we'll look at these a couple different ways so that it's not just, again, 
head knowledge, but it's just we're, we're making some, some obvious notes for, for many of you on what, what be, has been ruling in our uh, educational systems and what must be challenged. Both humanism and rationalism are sourced by Greek philosophical thought. And that is listed as a prince of Greece, mentioned also in the scriptures. A prince of Greece becomes, is a principality, and he has a primary mission, I believe, that's fairly simple. The mission of the prince of Greece is to lock human beings into the left side of their brain, to your left brain. You have your left brain and your right brain. We'll talk to you briefly again about that in just a moment. But I believe the prince of Greece, its effect and what humanism and rationalism and all these isms are designed to do is to lock human beings into the left side of their brain, the left side of their mind. There's a specific reason for that we will get to in, in just a moment. There are five isms, we'll call them Beelzebub's five isms, and this is how our children are being educated. I put in parenthesis, uh, yeah, in quotation marks, educated. Again, Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies, and he is, flies gather around garbage. Garbage is being served. Garbage is being provided in our educational systems. And our children, we send there, and they are being educated and raised on this garbage and primarily under five isms. And I will mention the five isms quickly, and then I'll go one by one. The five isms are humanism, liberalism, agnosticism, Atheism, number two is rationalism. Those are the five isms. We'll start with humanism. Humanism is basically the concept that man is God. It's said in fancy ways and other disclaimers, other mumbo-jumbo around it, but when it's all said and done, it really means that man is God. You are the ones that, you are the center of the world. God, if he exists, he orbits around you, and so that's what humanism is. Number two is rationalism. Rationalism is The concept, the idea that there is no supernatural. And if there is no supernatural, therefore there is no God. And in rationalism, there is the belief that there is a natural law that explains everything. And so, therefore, you can see how that would not work. Again, just going back to the children of Israel in the wilderness and the idea of manna coming from heaven and water from the rock, you hit a rock, water comes from that, how water parts in the sea, how healing for today, you know, there's multiple manifestations of his power and presence that totally violate rationalism, and so the instruction and rationalistic concepts are designed to close you off even to being open to have faith. Number three, liberalism. Liberalism is where freedom supersedes morality, and morality, they might be called rules and restrictive rules. And so in liberalism, there is this belief in personal freedoms. But it's, uh, it's freedom from God, as in from away from God, instead of having God's freedom. It's, it's do what you feel like doing. Now, if anybody has studied, or not that I recommend it, as all, but there's a satanic Bible, the satanic verses, and the theme of the satanic Bible is... And I believe what's, you'll see the Satanic Bible and under it, do as thou wilt. That is the concept of Satanism. The core Satanism is, Satanism is do what you feel like doing. Do what you want. And uh, that becomes, in essence, what liberalism manifests and shows itself as. And so we have that effect being released from our professors into our students. And then we 
wonder why we have some trouble with our generations following the Lord. Number four, agnosticism. And um, in agnosticism, the idea there is that ultimate reality is unknown or unknowable. God probably doesn't exist, and if he does, you can't know him anyway. So that's another ism that is being released through this mountain. Part of the enemies work there, part of the Amorites, part of knowing the landscape, the spiritual landscape on this mountain as we begin to approach it with the light from heaven. Number five, atheism, the disbelief in God. As opposed to what we were looking at in agnosticism, well, he probably doesn't exist, and if he does, you can't know him anyway. This is the idea. Well, he for sure doesn't exist. And, uh, and of course, there is a saying, there are no really tr- any true atheists, a very low percentage worldwide, and they're just waiting for a crisis in their life, and many atheists then all of a sudden pray to the God they don't believe in. Anyway, that's... Uh, Another thing, there is a hole in our heart, a God-sized hole in everyone's heart, and so it's just trying to mask something that you really can't mask. There is, uh, atheism has no legs to stand on, but we won't delve any further into that. So how the brain works, I was mentioning to you about the left side of the brain, the right side of the brain, and this will be just a real quick primer on it. Uh, there is, again, much more instruction on this, on this subject in, in our books, but the left brain we have our left brain, we have our right brain, we have a cortex of, uh, of nerves and communication with which they uh, connect to each other. The left brain is verbal, analytical, sequential, rational, objective, good at observing. Remember the scriptures say don't be hearers only, uh, but also be doers well, you stay strong in your left brain. You become very good at observing, at being a hearer, but not necessarily a doer. And then you for sure don't exercise faith when you are locked in your left brain because faith, in order to step into faith, you must leave your left side of your brain as far as it being dominant in your life because your faith requires you to violate the laws of nature. If you understand that, to step into the supernatural, supernatural living, you don't have faith in something natural. It's faith is for accessing the supernatural dimension of our inheritance, who we have in him, who he is to us. So uh, we have, again, this is, this is a problem that's uh, being released into our, syst- our, our children, our school systems, through the educational system. But really, uh, since we are speaking from Atlanta, Georgia, in the Bible Belt of the United States, this is actually... Something that is very strongly even connected to the spiritual, the spirit of religion that is dominant in the Bible belt. And uh, we have a mixture of, of, of religion and this spirit, this humanistic spirit that combine. And, and we have this unique, uh, lukewarm religion that is very popular and common. And we'll have many churches, many lukewarm churches. And... Uh, because you must understand that humanism, rational thinking, pros and cons, logical thinking, all that, uh, is, it doesn't fight you that much when you're just trying to get saved. In fact, it can make sense logically. Someone, especially that is how evangelists are trained in our culture to present the gospel in a logical way. Is Do you know that if you die tonight, you will not go to hell? And I, I've preached that before, but I'm, trying, I'm counting on there being 
a connection with their spirit. But there's a way where you just try to make a rational connection with people and, and, and a person's thinking, oh my, what if, what if they're right? And so there's a rational decision made towards God and people come up, I just need to check this off, make sure I made good with Buddha last week and, and Muhammad the week before. I just need to be right with Jesus too, just in case. You know, I want to be right with all these big guys. And not that people uh, are trying to be right with all of them, but it can happen that way. And there is an inherent danger in coming to the Lord in that way. And I believe many in our culture in America do come to the Lord based on logic and and a level of humanism mixed with the spirit of God. And it causes you, again, you you get saved, but then you have this great fear, uh, a resistance. It's not even fear. It's a resistance to step into the supernatural dimensions that we are called to step into and live in as the body of Christ because you have to then make the switch to the other side of the brain, which we're not used to using. The right brain, speaking of the right brain, is visual, it's creative, it's intuitive, it's organic, experiential, it's good at participating. Again, the scriptures, be doers, not hearers only. And uh, there, is, uh, there, are, there are natural, uh, even tests and ways to find out if you're primarily left brain or right brain. And there are different ways to help yourself become more right brain than left brain. Creative people tend to be ones that operate more out of the right side of the brain, left uh, uh, the more, um, you know, scientific, scientific uh, methodical, methodic ways of operating happen on that side. And, and again, there's so much more it could be said on that, but for our purposes, we just want to note that the prince of Greece that operates in this mountain of education, there are spiritual forces behind everything we see, that he has a mission of keeping you basically thinking with your left brain and locked in your left brain because it limits the danger you can cause him as a representative and an extension of the kingdom of God. And so if you go to the prince of Greece thinking, it's left brainism. I know left brainism is probably not a word, but it is now. I just made it up. (laughs) Another one of those words. And the kingdom of God thinking is right brainism. We're not saying that the kingdom of God and your right brain are synonymous, but the things of the spirit are accessed through your right brain. If you can get a picture of your chimney to your spirit, to the spirit world, being through your right brain, that's how you access it. And so if, if the enemy can't directly cause you to doubt in God, if he can just keep you locked in a system that has you really accessing uh, by rote, by instruction from, from child to growing up, from your left side of your brain, that becomes so dominant that it just overcomes your right side of your brain. Then he has you where you want, and you can even approach, uh, you know, you can approach spiritual things like faith. I have people come to me very often and say, I want to grow in faith, but I can't. I've read every scripture. I've wrote and written down everything on faith, and I just feel like I have no faith. And I can tell as they're talking to me that they're dominant in their left side of their brain. and They've even approached growing in faith from a left brain methodology. You go, you get all the scriptures on faith, and you look at it, but faith is not received that way. Faith is a substance. You receive substance experientially in encounter with the Holy Spirit. And so uh, we've uh, spoken to you before how even everything Jesus did, he did with an intentional approach to go after the right side of your brain. 
And when he would say, repent, metaneo, change the way you think, go from left to right. Metaneo, change from left to right. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he did everything telling stories. He did not have this. Now here on the board is one through seven and three and all this kind of stuff. It was stories. It would be stuff that make them scratch their head. It would offend their left brain thinking. The kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. Like, what? The kingdom, all these things the kingdom of God is like. And he did everything in an antithetical way against the, the Greek thinking, the philosophical uh, training of the day. So that, that's just something we want to understand and, and, and uh, know about. Now, I want to tell you and spend the rest of our, our time here um, this evening telling you uh, the best I can about a, uh, a new uh, curriculum, I believe, is going to be released on the face of the earth through the sons and daughters of the king. As you may know, those of you who study education at all are involved in it, it is considered in crisis almost worldwide. In the United States, I don't know what the latest numbers, they keep going up and up. 40 or 50% of our kids that are in high school are not going to finish. They have no plans on finishing. And uh, if it wasn't for the ability to motivate them with mammon, which is, well, if you don't get it, you're not going to make money, there might be just 20% in there. It's really, it's, it's not working at all as its original purpose of instruction in life, wisdom in life. It is this motivation for making money. And it's really hard to motivate a 14, 15-year-old to try to make more money. And he just like, well, we'll do shortcuts. You know, I'll go win American Idol. I'll uh, do something like that. And there are multiple other ways now to make uh, income. Through the internet, the, the whole, the, you know, the, the ladder of life and success has changed dramatically. You don't have to go through the, through the old way. But I believe the shakings of the systems of this world, which will happen and are happening in all the mountains of society, create an opportunity for the sons and daughters of the king to receive the solutions from the king, solutions of the king, because he has answers uh, for every darkness that exists in society. He has and is the corresponding light. And as we begin to receive downloads from him and, uh, and have his wisdom, he will begin to allow us to step into amazing advances. And so if you'll just put up there the revolutionary 7M curriculum, and these are just some initial ideas, and they are designed to stimulate those who are seeing this both here and, in, and that will study it in their schools of instruction, just kind of a, a starting place for receiving ongoing uh, uh, guidelines, supernatural uh, strategies from God on how to practically bring about uh, new curriculums because that is one of the essential things that must take place in order to bring back the idea of education to its original, uh, its original focus. But even God's original design is that our kids grow up in instruction that is based in who he is and then out of that he addresses all aspects of life because he is the God of all life. And he's not just a God that is preparing us for one day to live in, in heaven, but he is a God that has plans for us and has designs for how we are to function here on earth. And he has, again, the light for every darkness that exists. So what the Lord began to speak to me, and again, some of these things I'm going to share with you right now are not in any of the books. There is progressive revelation, even what I'm getting. And uh, I was seeing new... Uh, as it were, seven subjects, new schools, Christian schools, or whatever we want to call them, kingdom schools, where the instruction would be 
based on the seven mountains of society that we are talking about. And again, to say this, I can't say this enough, the seven mountains of society, there is a direct connection with the seven spirits of God, spoken of in Revelation 4 and 5. There are seven dimensions of who he is, seven facets of his face. That the seven mountain message is about the fame of God being restored in all society. It is about him showcasing himself not just as the God of salvation, but he's God the governor, he's God the creator, he's God the provider, God the wise one, God the family man. He is the God of all life. And that he has his instruction, his better way of doing things in that Isaiah 2-2 scripture that in the last days, all nations will flow to the household of God. They will begin to see the solutions that are coming from the household of God. And so this is part of what I'm seeing. And these seven subjects... Um, I have in the parenthesis at the bottom there what would be the mountain we're talking about, how there is a subject tied into each one of the mountains. And so, you know, you would have the progression like first through 12th grade, and it would start out with reading and writing. But then you begin to give them instruction in social networking and and social skills, in redemptive uh, communicating. Um, That word I put there, eulogia, you know, in in the scriptures, we use the, also the template out of Revelation 5.12 for the seven mountains and, and the mountain of media, the word there is blessing. I can't tell you any more about that here. You can read that uh, from the book. But it uses the word eulogia and that becomes a key word for understanding redemption on the mountain of media. And eulogia is the redemptive communication from God. It is how, to, uh, how communication in heaven takes place, if you want to say And for our purposes here on earth, it becomes instruction uh, in a real practical way. Let's say for children and young people, I don't know that they're getting enough instruction on how to confront in love, how to handle uh, difficult scenarios and situations. You know, we have even subjects and and the same kind of instructions that is started three and four hundred years ago and things that are no longer relevant are being still addressed and things... And we have these large gaps uh, towards life that are not being uh, addressed. You know, the kids nowadays, they need to know how to handle uh, what happens if you have too many friend requests on, on MySpace. And how, what do you do if somebody deleted you from Facebook? And how do you confront somebody? There is this whole instruction on communication that it is the mind of God that we give instruction to our kids in the real world, where they live, how to interact in their social network, whatever that type of social network is. Right now we have a certain one. Ten years from now it could be a different one. But there is a need for education to be real uh, and, and real solutions for how to uh, uh, bring answers there. And so let's say a kingdom school in the future should have a subject that includes everything to do with uh, the mountain of media, but it would be the reading and writing and all that. Again, I'm just going to uh, release some concepts because I can't go into it deep enough. And those of you who are uh, called to release uh, and, and develop curriculum, which we have been talking with several in the last few weeks that have impact even across the, across the globe in uh, producing curriculum. Number two, the number two subject would be uh, instruction on all the sciences. And, and uh, again, based on the, this concept, God is in the middle. Uh, and I'll call it the, the foundation of intelligent design. Uh, I know that there is uh, the idea of creationism and, and traditional 
creationism may have some scientific problem. The Bible wasn't specifically meant to be a book on science. And so if we can argue with creationism, we can't argue with the idea of intelligent design, that there is a God and he is the intelligent designer of everything that's taking place. And I believe more and more we're going to see that the quantum world connects the invisible realm to the visible realm. And we'll see that connection. It will no longer even take a leap of faith. It'll be evidenced scientifically in the coming days. It'll be kind of the proof of that. And so uh, in all these subjects, as part of uh, uh, our instruction of those developing kingdom curriculum, you want to go into the history of each one of these areas of society and where we were and where we've progressed to. So history doesn't become just this uh, subject that stands alone on history, but there's history in every sector of society, how the ideas developed, and that becomes very important. You know, um, I believe it's Churchill that says, he who can look back the furthest can also look ahead the farthest. And, and, uh, you know, the old saying, those who uh, don't learn from history are going to repeat it, basically. There's different ways that has been said by different people. And so... Subject number three that needs to be developed um, would be as it relates to the mountain of government and all about government. And the Lord gave me this instruction that there is this foundation of thinking out of Romans 14 and verse 17 that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. And he was giving me some uh, revelation out of what righteousness, peace, and joy and how they translate in, uh, in real life that righteousness is the philosophy of government. If we know that, again, speaking for ourselves, for our nation, the United States, there is a philosophy of government from which all government has developed in our own nation. There are the concepts, there are the declarations, there are the Bill of Rights, and that becomes the the philosophy of government, and there was an intent and really a lot of righteousness in that original uh, philosophical uh, plan that was laid out. Then the peace is the law-abiding focus of government. There are policing structures. That is also biblical. Those that are in authority, they don't carry the sword in vain. They are the ministers of God to execute his vengeance, his judgment on those who do wrong. And so that is part of of what government is about also. And then there is the joy part of government, the mercy benefit clauses in societal law. And that is where we've struggled maybe the most in our own nation with a lack of wisdom. There's a lot of unsanctified uh, mercy, a lot of unsanctified uh, in, in, in the sense that God, it wasn't God's wisdom. It was kind of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil being accessed pros and cons, and based out of that, there came ideas, and there are some ideas from several decades ago that have had devastating effects in our society, and so uh, it speaks into the welfare and the pardon structures, and I believe there is to be a pardon structure in government. So these, again, these are ideas, those who are developing curriculum in the future, and those who will see this even around the world, to have an understanding that we are called to uh, develop uh, kingdom, Um, a a kingdom culture, a kingdom understanding that comes um, from each one of these seven areas of society and there's an educational purpose. And again, uh, history, if we want to study any, if if historical studies have any value, it's specifically in government, what has worked and what has not worked. And we'll look at the next one. Number four is uh, all about money. It would be like based on the mountain of economy. Again, these are subjects These are, are, if there is a kingdom school that has begun, because this is what I believe, 
is that the Lord has shown me there will be kingdom pilot schools, charter schools. They won't be called that, but there will be schools that will carry this new idea, this new light, the new solutions that come from the house of God. And there will be the, the result will be that the kids that come to these schools, they will love schooling. It will challenge them and they won't quit. They won't leave. And so there will be those in other places that, well, that seems to be working. The kids are doing good. There'll be a history of it. The kids that come out of it do good. They love it. And so, so well, let's, Let's do that here. You know, that's, how, that's what happens in curriculum educational system. There is somebody starts something they, and it's said it works somewhere else and there's this whole domino effect that takes place. So there would be the study on all about money and, and in that, again, there is great value in simple math and budgeting, hard work, investing, the idea that God has source, that therefore we honor God with first fruits, remembering the poor. These are all things that are in scripture. They're a basic instruction on how to connect to provision for our own lives. And we often go straight maybe more to, even as Christians, we'll often go more to budgeting and hard work and, and forget the thing is God has source. He has ideas. He has strategies. He doesn't just provide, it's who he is. Jehovah Jireh is one of his names. He really, really enjoys supplying and providing for us. And we're going to see that in the coming days. And again, I may be controversial with some of you in the educational department right now, but I believe high math is, there's a level of it that's ridiculous math. And I don't know how many of you have ever used, I'm now going over with my kids, we're doing algebra, pre-algebra and stuff like that. And I realize I forgot it all. I haven't used it one time in my life since I was, uh, uh, you know, since I did that as a teenager five years ago. No, okay, many more years than that. See, I can't even count because of that bad math. (laughs) But it is an amazing time-consuming, and I'm watching even my girls trying to get it. They have more of a creative mind. We're trying to pound it into their left brain, and there's an etching of the left brain. I believe there's actually a demonic uh, conspiracy behind it all to force people into the left side of their brain. It's like etch them into there, and it's, that's why your brain hurts from, from doing it, and there's no real purpose. There is, there is not 1% of the population that needs the advanced math, and the ones that need it for where they're going, get it on the side. Don't make everybody go for it. It's like all of us having to learn how to raise pigs. Who needs to know how to do that? Only those who are raising pigs. It's the same thing. You don't need all these difficult concepts. And these are, again, what they didn't have three and 400 years when they started hard math ideas, they didn't have the calculator. Even now you go, well, you figure it out in your mind. Well, let me just check on the calculator. If you're checking on the calculator, just use it to start with. I've, I'm for... Addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. But once you get into this other stuff, you all know you haven't used it. It's part of the foolishness in education. And I really, I'm going to say it again. I believe that advanced math becomes a tool of the prince of Greece to strengthen the mind of reason. And that it, it can seem, it's funny in a way, but it, it, there is a sinister thing behind it. That it's actually, we could be, uh, it's part of why kids don't enjoy school because you're forcing, you know, there's, a, there's some laziness why they don't enjoy school too. We understand that also. But there are some practical reasons. You're not connecting to passion. Anytime you're just dealing with the left brain, you are not connecting to a person's passion. And so therefore you're going to struggle and they're not going to want to keep learning. All right, number five. All about arts and entertainment. 
passions, sports, music, fashion, movies, dance, etc. God is the creative source. Accessing the right side of the brain. This has to do with the mountain of celebration. Again, if I can step on some toes. There's Christian schools. Christian schools all over the place. And they are not anywhere close. The Christian schools I've seen are not anywhere close to what I'm calling a seven-mount school of the future. I have to be careful what I say. But it is... Boring, nerdly, unsocial, uh, smart kids. That's not a seven mountain school. And, 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 it's, and it's, you know, on the side, they're, they're, they're getting you, again, there's this combination. It's instruction in the ways of God, but in a humanistic way. And they're by and large not connecting with supernatural life. And so then on the side, if you have any time, you're already overworked, but you have side, you know, they'll offer music on the side, and most of these won't offer at all because it's so assumed that the devil's in them, and so you can't do them at all. But I'm talking in the future, Seven Mountain Christian schools, where what you're offering in a practical way, they are there in main time, main subject, main hours. You are connecting them to music, fashion, movies, dance. It's not something they have to pursue uh, on the side, and it's something where they can release uh, the, their creativity, connect to the passion of God and understand he likes to do it. He's with them. He is the greatest creative source in the world. And it also is something that activates the right side of your brain even more. And it connects to who you are, the passions of who you are. It allows you easier access to the tree of life. <laughs> Number six, all about family. Again, these are subjects that I believe there's going to be Schools that will have seven primary, there might be more, seven primary subjects, each one's connected uh, to one of the seven mountains. All about family, whether it's called social studies and viewed in an entirely different way or whatever. But family as a foundation of societal fabric, instruction on that. And how family is founded in God. It's founded in husband-wife structures and why. How to navigate through relational challenges you know, what we offer in this church here already, this thing called life skills that you have to come when you're 30 and 50 and 70 years old and come and spend extra time and hours in your off, in, you know, in your extra hours. Uh, this should be something, basic life skills and what we've learned from it uh, and the healing that comes through, that should be part of basic curriculum, educational instruction that kids are getting as they grow up. And again, from a kingdom uh, concept and context. Now, when I say there, uh, this thing of husband and wife structures, we know uh, we know the battles that are raging, uh, the social battles, even in our own nation. And there's the the homosexual, the pro homosexual uh, agenda and laws, and, and there's you know the things with uh, abortion and, and, and all the battles uh, that that we know about. Part of what we have to be able to do as believers in the future seven mountain Christians that will seven mountain Christian school that will have effect and be light is not just quote the scripture. We have to have uh, an ability to go to have enough of an understanding of who our God is, why He says what He says. When the only reason we can say is don't commit adultery, why? Well, it says don't commit adultery. There really are reasons, there are studies to back it. There's what happens specifically to society. We have history that tells us of 
uh, of, of the societies that have engaged in it the most and the diseases that take place and the fractures of society, presently that have become, those are real, realities also. And part of our instruction that'll stick is, yes, these are God's ideas, but there's also why God wanted these ideas and why he wanted these things to take place. And so we would give instruction to our kids, and, and as they grow up, we'd have them uh, understanding how to navigate through relational challenges instead of trying to do that before the divorce lawyer after you've you know, split up after 10 years of marriage. Again, there's these things. We have to be a relevant, uh, 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 not just relevant society, but a, the, the church itself has to come uh, and present relevant answers in our education. When we say we're providing a Christian school we have to uh, not just, you know, kind of be shadowing what's taking place in the world. I really do believe that what will be part of this radical revolution that will take place, there will be an entirely uh, new scoring system, a new, other than SATs for developing, de- determining who is uh, and how smart and so, how, you know, someone is and whether someone really is qua- uh, capable of now being a bright light in society. I mean, just speaking briefly about that thing of, of the SAT scores, uh, it's a good accomplishment. If you got a good SAT, uh, praise God, and, and, and I applaud you in all that kind of way. But it, by and large, it basically means you are strong in your left brain. And you will rarely find someone who is strong in their right brain that aced an SAT score. Because the entire system, the educational system, is rigged, in, uh, if you want to say, to favor those who can go more easily into the left side of the brain. And even financially, our society rewards those who are better in the left side of the brain. And there's the few stars in arts and other things that make some money, but 90%, you, you know, you hear the expression, the starving artist. The entire, the mammon structures are designed also to uh, conspire against you staying in, in activation of the right side of your brain. All right, let's... Uh, the last one, all about religion, number seven, and uh, that life makes no sense if there is no God. Again, we can go at this from the standpoint even of uh, divine wisdom, his logic. Uh, it would be a religion course on the major religions of the world, not being afraid to tell about them and how they think, and, and identifying specifically the hereafter ramifications of each one of those uh, paths of thought. Identify the need for a savior redeemer outside uh, of ourselves and, and uh, identifying inherent weaknesses of the various religions. I believe there's supposed to be more open dialogue even when, in, again, you go to a Christian school that it'll tell you and not be afraid to tell you exactly how other systems believe and how it doesn't address this primary issue of sin and who takes care of it. You know, you basically have to earn, every other religion, you have to earn it. And this is the only one where you can wear the white robe of righteousness. The blood of Jesus covers you. And so there's got to be instruction in these seven areas. In closing, bottom line, we need to fill the mountain of education. We talked about the mountain of government and all the mountains that we'll be talking about. The idea is not to have a few stars there, not even just a few people who can produce and release new curriculum. But if you are called to the mountain of education... This is one way to have an idea if you are. If you have a teacher's heart, teacher's spirit, maybe you've been prophesied, you've been in a prophetic church and they've said, you have a teacher's anointing. Maybe it's not a teacher's anointing for the household of God. Maybe it's a teacher anointing on the mountain of education. If you love children, you love working with children. 
That may be a sign you're called to the mountain of education. God wants to raise up, and I believe the Lord showed me there will be many pastors who think they they got their anointing and their prophecies, and, and, and they feel like they're anointed to be pastors, and they've been trying to do things in the pulpit, but that's not their call. They're called to be principals of schools, and they're called to show uh, the Father's heart there. And, uh, and I, I, I list there in parentheses that there is significant overlap with the mountain of education and the mountain of family. And this is important uh, for us to know, and I think it's obvious also how uh, the instruction of our kids is, would be the, the mountain of education, but it's our kids, it's families, developmental stages of family. And so this becomes some, uh, a place for teachers and pastors uh, to show up. So we want to fill the mountain of education, as I said, with the teachers, the, the those who work with children, pastors, and also counselors, and this would be career counselors, emotional counselors, uh, curriculum writers, as I've been mentioning, financiers, those who will finance the new school models and curriculum, uh, janitors, coaches, arts instructors, tutors, intercessors. Again, we want to expand our mind to understand that we can be called to the mountain of education even if we don't have what we think is a traditional uh, teaching gift that you can, the Lord may say, I want you to be a janitor and I want you to be one who's just speaking and releasing the Holy Spirit into the halls of, your, of the school wherever you're at. So you, you recognize that there's a value in that of being a releaser of the kingdom of God there and we need sons and daughters of the king at every sector and specter of the mountain of education. We need them everywhere. We need them to be salt and light at every place there imaginable. Amen. A closing. Basically, final statement. We need this mountain full of teachers and pastors. Those who have pastoral hearts, teacher hearts, and you can be that as an intercessor. You can be that as a janitor. You can be that as an instructor itself. And the Lord does desire to release many of his people, many of his sons and daughters who have even gone to uh, schools of ministry and they are waiting for a church to call them so that they can exercise the teaching and pastoral gift that's been recognized. They got their diploma from their school of ministry, uh, from their either the, sometimes as a seminary, sometimes just a school of ministry, and they're looking for an opportunity to get behind the pulpit that only 3% of the church will ever have any role behind either the pulpit or in any uh, uh, job within the church. Uh, just briefly, I think I've said that before, but 97% of our congregations will never have a role in church. And so if they don't understand and begin to recognize that their platform or pulpit is out on one of the other mountains, then we have 97% either feeling secular or hoping somebody dies that's in the 3% so they can get a job there. And that's not going to work anymore. We are called to release light in all the mountains and all the sectors of society. So if you will stand with me, I just want to pray with you now and pray with you As you're watching this, pray with you on streaming video also. Lord, I just thank you for what you're doing in this time and day and how you are awakening your sons and daughters, that this is a season of a great awakening, awakening to how we arise, how you desire to arise through us, new ways of thinking, Lord, how you want to uh, begin to Give us your downloads, your strategies of how you want to invade even the mountain of education, how you want to showcase the greater wisdom that you have and to have you have no, uh, you have no fears as it relates to this. Uh, you understand that the systems of this world cannot compete with your wisdom and that you could release 
and that you have, Lord, I'm just even having a hard time saying it because I'm seeing a vision as I'm speaking of a divine school that you have and how attractive it would be even to the world and how what is released in the kids and the teachers, just the spirit, the glory, there is a glory of the mountain of education that even the world will recognize when we properly model it. When we first, as the body of Christ, can see this and then begin to model it in our society and it'll look different in different cultures and different nations. And I thank you even now, Lord, those who are listening online, Lord, those who are listening at this as an instruction DVD, Lord, I thank you that this moment you are releasing into their life an impartation of faith, an impartation of revelation, Lord, that you will begin to invade their dreams with your dreams, that you really do have the better way of doing everything, that you're not just the God of the hereafter, you're the God of here and now, you're Emmanuel, God with us, and you have the corresponding light for every darkness that exists. So I ask, Lord, that you would raise from those who are listening, that you would raise those who would be your teachers, your pastors that would carry this mantle outside of the church and would carry it to this mountain of education, Lord, that you will raise this new curriculum, these new schools, this new models, Lord, that will be recognized even uh, throughout many nations for the glory. They will call it something else, but it'll be your glory on it that they will recognize and they will come to, you know, create a revolution in the educational systems of of the world even, Lord, and I thank you for what you're going to do there. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Thank you, Lord.